0: Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. May God bless the reading of this word.
1: There are three kinds of people in this world. There are those who disrupt the peace, there are those who keep the peace, and there are those who make the peace. And so my question to you as we begin our message today and take a closer look at Matthew chapter 5 verses 9 um, through 12 is this. Which kind of person are you? Now as you think about that, are you a person who disrupts the peace? Or are you a person who keeps the peace? Are you a person who makes the peace? As you think about that, um, I want you to consider a few things. Um, What's the difference? Let's talk about somebody who disrupts the peace. Anybody know anybody who disrupts the peace? Some of you are smiling. Um, Some of you parents are thinking, it's your children. Some of you children are thinking, it's your parents. Um, Some of you brothers are thinking, it's my sister. Some of you sisters are thinking, it's my brother. Um, Well, I'm not going to ask... Who it is. But let's talk about the characteristics of those who disrupt the peace. These are people who they create conflict. They're happiest when everybody's not getting along. They don't play in the sandbox nicely. They stir up trouble. They walk in a room and they're like Pig Pen. Anybody know who Pigpen is? Any of you like uh, Charles Schultz and and Peanuts? Well, Pigpen was one of this one of the Peanuts characters that walked in a room. And when he walked in, he brought this cloud of yucky stuff with him. So everybody knew Pigpen was there. Well, people don't, they don't call me Pig They call me Tornado Ten. So I guess in some ways I'm like I'm like Pig But a person who Disrupts the peace is sort of like pig pen, but they don't bring in dirty stuff. What they bring in is conflict. A whole, and they leave a whole host of casualties in the room when they walk out. And our world is full of people like that because of sin. And sin leads to conflict. And conflict leads to hurt. And hurt leads to broken relationships. And broken relationships ends in divorce. Or friends going their separate ways. Or people deciding, it's just too hard to try and repair this, so I'm going someplace else. know, it's really sad. I've been a pastor. It's not sad that I've been a pastor for a long time, but it's sad that I've been a pastor for more than 30 years. But one of the things that I constantly see is is that in the church, very rarely... Do we ever solve our relationship problems? Very rarely are conflicts resolved according to Matthew 18 and the principles of going to some, somebody first privately. And then if they hear your concern and they repent, you've won your brother. If they don't repent, then you bring someone else with you. And then you move up the steps of Matthew 18. But the whole purpose of Matthew 18 is that we might restore our relationships when we have conflicts. But instead, what happens is people just go off. They go this way. They go that way. They start another church. They go to another fellowship. And that happens because people don't understand the first thing about what Jesus said in this passage. That all of us who are Christians are to be peacemakers. So there are those who disrupt the peace. And I don't like those type of people. Um, I don't tolerate those kind of people very well. And I often, often challenge those kinds of people. Um, let's talk about the other kind of people. And I think most of you, forgive me for saying this, I haven't known you that long, but I've made some observations. And I've had uh, many opportunities uh, over the years to, to speak with other people who are in similar situations and in their families. And I think that most of you fall into this middle category of people who keep the peace. So when, when you know that something's wrong, you just like sort of ignore it. And then you just sort of hope it will go away and you want to focus on the positive and Oh, let's not discuss that. That's just, that's just something we, we want to not pay attention to. So, uh, people like that, um, they never really fully solve the problem. They just smile and make nice and pretend like the problem doesn't exist. So there are people in the world who keep the peace. But then again, there are people who make peace. And people who make peace There are those people who say, I'm sorry, as much as they say, you were wrong and you hurt me. There are people who say, I appreciate criticism, so please come and talk to me when I have a problem. Because if I've done something wrong, then you coming and talking to me is an opportunity for us to make our relationship better. Those are people who make peace. And I think the distinguishing characteristics of those who make peace are that they they take initiative in conflict, and they don't run away from the person that they're having a conflict with. Now, be honest. Think about somebody who you've had a conflict with in this past year. Did you run towards them in love and forgiveness and the gospel and grace? Or did you run away from them in gossip, in disgust, in nursing your own grievances? You see, in this passage, what Jesus is calling all of us As disciples to do. Is to be peacemakers. Those who take initiative. Those who forgive. And those who sacrifice themselves. For the sake of making peace. So when we come to this passage. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 9. We see Jesus says. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called. The sons of God. If you are a child of God. You will be a peacemaker. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about it. That is who you are. That is what you will do. I became a Christian when I was nine years old, and it was a good thing God saved me when I was young. And I'll tell you why. Because I grew up in Florida. Now, you might think Florida's a nice place, and I'm sure it is. Pastor Chuck's there right now, and I'm sure he will tell you all, it's, it's a wonderful place. But when I grew up there, it wasn't necessarily a wonderful place. In fact, it was known as Redneckville. You know what a redneck is? Uh, A redneck is a contentious person who's always looking for a fight. And when I went to school, that's what my school life was like. So at a very early age, I learned, okay, I can't disrupt the peace. I'm the smallest person in my class. I don't have big muscles. And so it's never going to happen. So I can't be that kind of a person. And keeping the peace just doesn't work. We need a better solution. So I decided I was going to be a peacemaker right after God saved me. So from age nine on, I tried to be a peacemaker. And and I confess to you that part of my reason for doing it was completely selfish. Why? Because if I'm a peacemaker, then people aren't going to beat me up, right? Um, So I became that that diplomat at age nine to try and get everybody on the same page loving each other not punching each other and I got out of um, elementary school with only about three major fights praise God Um, but then what happened is I entered into junior high school and I began to learn that some of the kids in my school were what we called thugs now a thug is like a bully and I began to be bullied for no other reason at that point than the fact that I was a Christian these thugs would bully me and they scared me, I mean, they really scared me. Then I grew up and I went to, went to high school and that terrified me. Brothers and sisters, tilted A. I'm still trying to get over my high school years. It was traumatic um, and I took a lot of flack. I was persecuted because people knew that I stood against their partying on the weekends. And thought that they shouldn't be going out and committing sexual immorality. And because I was a Christian, and because I had a loud mouth about it, just like I have a loud mouth about it now. But this is great. I have a loud mouth and a microphone. Um, but, but back then, I didn't have the microphone. But I had a loud mouth, and it got me a lot of flack. And so people would do this. They would, they would pick me up. They would beat me up when no one else was looking in the locker room. Times like that. I'd come home from, from school, and my mom wouldn't say, How was your day today? She'd say, what did they do to you today? And that's what my life was like. Why? Because I was a Christian, because I tried to live with Christ. And I learned during that time that I needed to be a peacemaker. And I learned that being a peacemaker was not an easy thing. And you want to know why? It's because being a peacemaker will get you persecuted as a result. That's why Jesus puts this verse 9 in the position he does, and then later goes on in verse 10 to talk about persecution. But if you notice the first point on my outline, if you're a child of God, you will be a peacemaker. Um, notice I've made a connection between being a child of God and being a peacemaker. So I want you to think about something today. What I want you to think about is, is that children often, in fact, I'd say usually, imitate the characteristics of their parents. Do they not? Uh, from an early age, we knew that our daughter, Allison, was our child because she was singing and there was lots of music in the house even when she was a young child. And I do my trumpet warm-up and it goes like this. Da, da, da. And Allison was 18 months old, standing up in a crib going da, 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 da. perfectly matching the pitch. Then Christmas comes along and we're playing the Messiah in our house. And, and Allison's going like this. And he shall purify you. Know, and she's waving her hand to the music like a conductor, you know. So she was definitely our child from the get-go. Martin, um, if you get a chance to spend any time with my son, you'll know that my son is like me. I mean, he's different because he's tall and I'm short. Thank you, Jesus. He got the tall jeans and he escaped the Conglan curse, which is five foot five and a half. Um, used to be five foot seven, but I shrunk. That's what happens when you get old. You shrink. Um, But Martin, um, even though he's taller than me, and he looks more like every side of the family than than my side of the family, he's definitely our child. And the one time you know it is when the two of us play trumpet. Because when the two of us play trumpet together, you can't tell the difference between me or Martin. I can't even tell us apart. So I I was listening to a recording that Martin and I made, and i say, Martin, were you playing first or I playing first? And it's like, that, I don't know. And I'm like, I can't tell either. Because we were so similar. And when Evie and Allison sing, they're both sopranos, I find it hard to tell the two of them apart because they both sing so beautifully well. But what about you? Do you imitate the characteristics of your Heavenly Father? Because if you do, then you will realize that the single distinguishing mark in this text of a believer is that like our Heavenly Father, you, as a child, are a peacemaker. That's your lot in life. And it's a wonderful lot. It's a wonderful responsibility. It brings into this world the forefront of why God sent Christ into the world. To make peace with enemies. And as a peacemaker, you're not making peace with your... Well, sometimes you're making peace with your friends because your friends act like enemies. But you're basically making peace with people who are your enemies because of your Christianity. Or who are enemies of Jesus as well. So notice that if you are a person who is a peacemaker, then verse 10 says you're going to be a persecuted peacemaker because the people who are blessed in verse 9, who are the peacemakers, who are called the sons of God, in verse 10 are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now, that's really hard to understand, and I think it's very, very hard at times to take the fact that As believers, we're not only peacemakers, we're going to be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. We do not live in a just world. And most of you think that we do. And I'll tell you why I know. It's because when things don't happen according to your just world fallacy, then what happens is is you either don't understand it or it doesn't make sense to you. Now, what do I mean when I talk about a just world fallacy? And that that's the thinking that many of you have in your mind. That we live in a just world. You think the world goes like this. I'm going to be nice to you. And I'm going to be so nice to you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to be your friend. And what's this person going to do? Yes. I'm going to be nice to you back. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to be your friend. We're going to get along. It's going to be great. And so, you do good to someone. And then they do good back to you. Right? That's what we expect. And it does happen sometimes, but then again, it doesn't happen sometimes as well. And here's what happens. You do good to someone. You bless them. You live your life for the purpose of making them great and helping them. And what happens is they pull that knife out and then they stab you in the back when you're not looking. And it happens. And you're like, whoa, 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 that wasn't supposed to happen. And so, if what I'm doing is hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and I'm doing the good things of the Lord, I'm living the Christian life, then people, at least the Christians ought to treat me well, right? No. You will find that if you live for righteousness, and First Peter is all about this. Go home today and read the book of First Peter. And next week I will hand out candy bars. In the back of the church to anyone who reads the whole book. Comes to me, I'll have candy bars back there. Um, That is my incentive to get you to connect this passage to 1 Peter. Which talks about the persecution that we experience. But Peter is very clear. He says, who is there to harm you um, if you suffer for doing what's right? Because in your conscience you're then suffering uh, as a Christian. And that is a good thing. Just like Christ suffered for righteousness. For you to suffer. For righteousness' sake as well. So what we find then in this passage is is that we think if I do good, if I live righteously, everything's going to happen well for me. But it don't work that way. And some people get upset and they blame the person who persecutes them. And then they have a bad reaction against that person. But then sometimes what happens is, is when other people are persecuting you and you know what you're doing is right, you get mad at God. And you say, God, you didn't come through. You didn't deliver. I live for you, and look where it got me. And that's the way we think. And some people march right out of the church because Christianity didn't Christianity supposedly promised them a rose garden, and when they didn't have a rose garden, instead they found out they had to share a crown of thorns with the crucified Savior. They pick up their bags and they run out of the place. And they say, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. It didn't deliver. What I expected it to do. So what about you today? Where are you coming from? Are you embracing righteousness? Then let me guarantee you one thing. If you are, then Paul says, All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is your lot in life. And it begins even now when you're in school. Some of you think, Pastor Tim, you're preaching on something that has absolutely nothing to do with my, my life. No. I'm talking about something that has everything to do with your life, even if you're in the 6th grade. Because this is gospel truth. This is the truth of it. But what's so weird about it? And take a look at verse 10. What's the first word in verse 10? This is what's so weird about it. This text is like, blows my mind. What's the first word of verse 10? What? Blessed! Blessed. Okay, now, let's, let's be real people. How many of you think of persecution as being a blessing? You might be willing to accept it because you know you've got to accept it because that's what every Christian has to accept because that's what the Bible says and I do what the Bible says, so okay, bring it on. No. This is so mind-boggling, not simply because it blows our just world fallacy out of the water. This is so mind-boggling because in so doing, Jesus reverses it and says you're blessed. Now, If I say, I'm going to bless you with a candy bar for reading a book of the Bible last week, you're like, yeah, sweet. But if I say, I'm going to bless you by putting you in a situation where you're going to be caught between a rock and a hard place, and someone's going to do something against you like Jesus says happens in this passage, perhaps someone is going to, verse 11, cast insults against you. Perhaps they're going to persecute you, maybe even leading to death. Or perhaps they're simply going to say all kinds of evil against you falsely. Then you're going to think, wow, that's great. Thank you, Pastor. Do you have anything else? Do you, like, do you have anything else you'd like to give? This is very mind-boggling. And I'm not trying to make light of it by, by, by joking about it. Um, but Jesus calls it a blessing. And notice, there's two reasons in this passage why it is that we suffer persecution. The first, that we just saw... Was because of righteousness in verse 10. Because you try and live the life that God wants you to live. But notice the second reason that comes in verse 11, why you're persecuted. It's simply on account of your association with Jesus. Jesus says, you're persecuted on account of me. Sometimes people won't even take the time to know you before they start attacking you. In 2008, when I was working on my PhD at the University of Hawaii, I had to spend a year in residency and going to class and things. And it, it was a lot of fun and I learned a lot. And it's a great experience going to school in Hawaii, of all places. I urge all of you parents, send your kids to Hawaii. Um, it's a great place to, to to study and get a degree while you're surfing on the side. But one of the things that happened to me when I went to my political science classes is is that I found that I was going to the... To the university with the most liberal political science department in the country. More liberal than down the street. You know that place that starts with an H? Okay. So, even more liberal than that. So when I went to class, and some days we'd have discussions, and each week, because it was a graduate seminar, somebody had had to give a presentation. Sometimes I found out that my fellow students would stand up and take their presentation against me. I never even talked to these people. And they're standing up in front of a a group of grad students having a presentation on B. And I'm like, whoa, that's really messed up. Um, And then I started to think about it. Think about the fact that the the professor didn't shut the guy up and say, sit down, that's inappropriate. We're not going to have that in the university classroom. No, he let him go on. And I think his reason for letting the guy go on is he wanted to see what my reaction was. Would I strike back? Well, what I would, what would I do? Well, I listened um, to the guy and then I chuckled and I laughed and I said, well, that's your caricature of evangelical Christians, but you don't know me at all. So um, I'm sorry that you wasted 15 minutes of class time to talk about something that really had nothing to do with their lives, the lives of our fellow classmates, your life or my life, but um, let's move on now. And then we moved on in the classroom. But if... You claim the name Christ as your Savior and you claim the name Christian as your birthright and you know you're a son or daughter of the living God and you know that you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness to want to be like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did on this earth and to not only wear the bracelet that says WWJD, but on this hand it says whatever Jesus would do, I'm willing to do as well. If you're that kind of a person, it's going to cost you. It's going to it's gonna be difficult. And so you're going to suffer. And when you suffer, people are going to revile you. They're going to persecute you. And they're going to speak evil about you. One of the greatest blessings of my life has been to be a missionary amongst the house church Christians in China. And the reason is because the house church Christians are persecuted. And some of my friends spent 20 years in prison. And in spite of it all, uh, they have the most amazing responses and attitudes. Um, I remember one lady, I was interviewing her in Shenzhen, and she was just telling me about what had happened a few months ago. She said, the policemen came by, and they found out that we were leading a church in our house, and so they took everything out of our house. They took all of our electronics. They took our our CD and our tape machine. They took it all out. And she said they went to our bank accounts. They drained our bank accounts of all the money. And as she's saying this, she's saying it with a smile. And I'm thinking, does she have something wrong? Maybe, you know, something stuck in her teeth? Because every time she said, this is what the government did, she smiled. And she smiled. And she gets to the end. And I realized, oh, she has nothing stuck in her teeth. She has Christ stuck in her heart. And so as she was sharing with me, she was smiling and saying, and then when she got all finished, she looked at me and she said, isn't it a blessing to suffer with the Lord? And I thought, ooh, that's never happened to me. Um, So am I a Christian? And it made me feel really bad at that point, not because I had suffered, but because I hadn't even begun to suffer anything like what she had suffered. I had the privilege last year of doing the final editing and the final translation of China's most famous house church Christian a uh, uh, lawyer, Gao Zhisheng, who's a human rights attorney who suffered horribly because of his faith um, and because of him standing for the rule of law and human rights in China. And I had the privilege of, of reading his last 10 years of a torture testimony and then getting it into English that was then published a few months ago by the American Bar Association. We, uh, we published it under the title, I gave it, Unwavering Convictions, Gao Zhisheng's Tenure, Torture, Ordeal, and um, Triumph of Faith for a Transformed China. So, as I wrote that, there's one section of the book that really, really, really got me. And it was a section in the book where Gao had had all of his teeth knocked out. Because of his accusers and because of the people who have persecuted him and tortured him. They have done horrible things to him that I'm not going to say in in the service. But what happened was, is there's one point in there where he talks about his sincere care for the person who is watching over him that did that to him. And as I read this, and I realized here we have, in living form, someone who actually lives out what Christ says we should do. In this passage, because as we go on later in the passage and Emily read it earlier, what is our response to it when people do that? The way that we we think that we should respond often is respond in kind. Somebody hits me, we hit him back. But what Gao Jershung did and what he writes about in his testimony was, is he loved this man who persecuted him and he prayed for him and he was worried for his salvation. So he almost at one point didn't want to get out of house arrest. I, I mean, get up. it wasn't house arrest because at that point he was in some undisclosed location. He almost did not want to get out of the undisclosed location because he had so much of a concern whether or not the man who did that to him would actually one day become a Christian. Brothers and sisters, is that the kind of people you are? That I am. That were willing to stay in a prison-like situation so that we might see our loving, gracious, amazing Savior come to the person who sinned against us and give them new life in Christ. Because that's exactly what it is that God is calling us to do. He's calling us to respond with the gospel of grace to all those who hurt us. Jesus wants us to love our enemies and not treat them as they treat us. As missionaries, there's a few times, um, like once every four or five years... Sometimes for us it was once every seven years. Uh, we would come back to the U.S. and then uh, give reports to to the supporting churches. So my son, our son Martin and I came back last fall and we gave a report here to the missions committee. Got a chance to share in the Tuesday evening um, Chinese ministry prayer meeting. It was a real, real blessing. But. When a missionary comes back during that time, sometimes you're back for a few few months, sometimes you're back for a longer time. I'll never forget the time in 1998 when we were back for an entire year and we were back in Evie's hometown in New Holland, Pennsylvania. So our kids are getting to go to the same school district that Evie got to go to when, when she was growing up in New Holland, Pennsylvania. And they even got to ride the school bus. So it was pretty cool, you know. I've never seen a school bus in Taiwan. I don't think they have school buses. I don't even think they know what a school bus is in Taiwan. And our kids usually walked or took public transportation to the schools that they went to in Taiwan. But Martin and Allison are back in, in the U.S. And uh, I think Marty was in second grade at the time. And so he goes and he waits at the bus stop and then he rides on the bus and then, then he goes to school. Well, he came home one day and he says this to us. He says, Mom and Dad, there is this, there is this guy... On the school bus who said that he was going to kill me. He was going to shoot me with a BB gun and kill me. And I'm like, whoa, America sure has changed from when when we were children. Um, We were sharing candy and things and talking about what we wanted to do and what play we wanted to do at the end of the day. And these kids are talking about picking up a BB gun and shooting somebody and killing them. And I was really worried because, you know, this is America. People bring their guns to school sometimes and they do those kinds of crazy things. And we're like, what do we do? Well, shortly after that, a few days later, we were reading, and in our Bible reading, we had just come to this passage in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, love your enemies. And as we read it, Martin's face lit up and he's like, I know exactly what God wants me to do. When my birthday party comes, he wants me... To invite the guy who wanted to shoot me to come to his birthday, to come to my birthday party, and I'm like, "Whoa, dude, do you really want to do that?" I'm thinking, "Check your gut at the door." I'm not sure I want this kid in my house, but Martin wanted him to come to his party, so Martin's like, "No, Dad, we need to do it. That's what God wants us to do." Well, when your kid says that's what God wants you to do, do it, okay? So, um, we did it. We sent out invitations, and we gave that kid an invitation. Guess what happened, people? Guess what happened? Somebody want to guess? He came, and he walked in the house like this, you know sort of, sort of sheepish, sort of like Larry boy in a towel, you know just like walking in, and he looked very sheepish like he shouldn 't be, be there and Martin welcomed him, brothers and sisters that 's what the gospel' is all about it 's loving and praying for. The people who persecute you because of your Christianity and because of your righteousness. And loving them just like Christ loved us when we were yet his enemies. That is the gospel. These are the Beatitudes. And this is who we are as believers. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this amazing passage that teaches us to be not like what the world is, but like how you are. So, God, make us your children. Help us to look like Jesus and help us to live the faith at school, at home, at the university, in our jobs, in society, and in the places where we know that by standing for righteousness and standing for Christ, it's going to be difficult and we're going to suffer. So, we pray, Lord Jesus, help us draw strength from you. I pray for the youth that you'll. Give them your strength so that even now they can stand for you, stand for righteousness, stand up for Jesus and own the privilege of suffering for his sake. So we pray in your name. Amen.